You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Harry Melandri, advisor to MI2. Hi there, Harry. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm doing okay. Listen, I'm, I'm camping out at the Real Vision studio today. I'm not in my usual spot, so who knows what's going to happen. But it's great to finally get back in the office. I think some people are kind of creeping back in. I have no idea what getting back in the office would involve. I, I know. I, <laughs> it, 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 I might have to put a my lot pants of on. Around because there's no taxis in New York, but right. but we got here. So so let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the market. I mean, it's a little. It feels like a little bit of a um, a funny day. We have got equities going up again, but I feel like it's just part of this bigger picture. I don't know if you feel like any of the moves today have any legs, but you know, just just stretching it out a bit, perhaps beyond today. What do you think about what's going on lately? What does it feel like? So it's not as if I'm always right. So everything I say has got to come with a health warning, the usual health warning. Disclaimer. Yeah, exactly. Um, But the first observation I'd have is bear markets are always fiendishly difficult to trade. They're they're tough. Um, And I remember my first boss, who was a fantastic guy, a guy called Will Postlethwaite. He said to me, you've got to, the problem with bear markets is you've got to have this, you've got to have a certain amount of faith. Yeah, you're selling it at a point when the thing looks like it will never, ever go down. Um, and so my working hypothesis is we're in an equity bear. The problem I've got is I don't, you know, my boss, Julian, is absolutely convinced that inflation is going higher. And I'm sure he's right. That rather not going higher, but not coming down uh, in an efficacious or in a, a prompt fashion, one which will rescue the Fed. Um which means that we could get so much more from the Fed than they're currently expecting. Right now, uh, the, the your base assumption's got to be that the Fed's heading to neutral and neutral somewhere between two and two and a half percent. That's what they think it is. Whether neutral is actually there, that's another matter completely. I got a, a kind of friend of the firm uh, acquaintance uh, uh, guy, guy called Nick Glinsman. Nick was at Brevin Howard around the same time I was at and he's a good friend of Julian, Nick claimed that at Davos, and I think Nick is probably a better place than me to say, because I, I, I did, my invite to Davos got lost in the mail this year. So did mine. Weird. Yeah, Shocking. weird, right? Um, apparently, the, the chat at Davos with people were talking about the possibility of Fed funds at 5%. And uh, where, where I have friends who do talk uh, with central bankers still and still have good contacts at central banks, 
those guys are, uh, are saying, roughly speaking, that yeah, inflation is a priority for once. They really do have to deal with it, and it's it's whatever it takes. So mm. it, it's by no means impossible that we can overshoot on rates way beyond what the market's currently thinking. And and the way bond markets are trading, it doesn't. You know, I wanted to buy them. I wanted to kind of you know buy those dips and, and play that negative, that, the positive carry from. But it, it's not trading well. Why do you think that possibility is not being priced in? Well, you know, it's so far away and we're all we're all used to a world in which inflation is not a problem. Right. That's that's the last 30, 40 years. The last time inflation was a serious problem was like the, the mid 80s. That's when we were, we actually believed that inflation was a policy variable. These days, nobody believes it. And that includes people who are not that sharp and people who are super sharp. Like mm-hmm. I, I talked to David Rosenberg that long ago. David Rosenberg knows exactly what he's talking about. He he thinks there's a recession next year. Mm-hmm. I can see his point. We we don't see the recession now, and a recession can show up. Does a recession mean that inflation goes away? Uh, not back in the 70s and 80s, it didn't. Uh, it it might not necessarily mean that now. And there are really good reasons why. Uh, inflation could the, the, there's no trade-off between inflation and growth but there are, are terms of trade shifts no longer term trade-off between inflation and growth so uh, we did a couple of things that would definitely tend to push inflation higher one of which was we've excluded uh, Russia from the global trading system that means Russia's industrial capacity is now is, um, the logistics are not in place to move that stuff around the world to places which can take it so we don't have the refining capacity we don't have the amount of coal we need to replace the oil product which is missing we don't have the natural gas we need and you see that everywhere tell you the truth i think the biggest single problem is refining capacity but who knows yet we 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 haven't yet seen the full effect of losing that commodity capacity and industrial capacity that Russia had. And then we had the lockdowns in China. All of these things are pushing more inflation through the system at a time when inflation is already elevated. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as confident as some people are that in, actually the, the, the inflation will come down as much as it should do as base effects kind of feed through and that it doesn't sort of then find a second leg up somewhere down the line. Yeah, that, that does seem to be the, the concern. You know, we had the Fed Vice Chair Brainerd today uh, in, a, in a TV interview saying, you know, I, I can't really see a scenario where the Fed pauses because Christoph, I spoke to Christoph Alari, that interview is dropping uh, at some point if it hasn't already. And he sort of said, everybody he talks to, investors, keep asking, when's the Fed pivot? Because we've been so conditioned, to your point, to think they're going to pivot. And, and everyone's looking for it. And that's a concern. He sees that as a risk, a certain amount of complacency. So you can sort of see why the Fed officials kind of keep trying to put their hawk coat on and, you know, jawbone the market by saying, no, no, this time we're serious. Um, but uh, Ash caught up with Neil Berger, who had a, an interesting concept and argument suggesting that the Fed should be way more aggressive than they are right now. Let's let's see if we can listen to a clip from that. My first foray in the market was Greenspan. But, you know, e- even from Greenspan on, you know, mar- uh, the central banks are somewhat sensitive to trying to prepare the market for for their moves and, you know, make sure that what they do is not going to cause a, a crash in, in, in the market. And then they go down as the Fed chairman that 
caused a, a crash. So I think they're trying to prepare the market for what they want to do. And they're, you know, but this particular Fed, and I, I certainly wouldn't be able to do personally do a better job. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm not looking to criticize anybody. But I think the market perception is that they're a little bit overdoing it. Like we all know interest rates are going up. Just do it already. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not going to be a shocking surprise. Um, you know, in other words, if, if they raise rates 100 basis points tomorrow, I do not think the market would crash. In fact, I think it's possible the market might rally on that because the perception would be, okay, finally the Fed is, is getting more aggressive and understands the severity of this inflation and is getting ahead of it and is willing to, you know, be aggressive towards fighting it. I mean, controversial, by the way, that full interview is available on the website uh, today uh, to across uh, all of our tier members, Essential Plus and Pro. Uh, it, it, Harry, that's a you know provocative statement to make. I mean, there have been people saying, listen, I wish they would front load it. That would be the best thing to do while they have this opportunity. Haven't heard that exactly. But could the market even handle something like that? So... I'm a huge fan of, of of people speaking off off the cuff, but that was definitely a little. I, I have problems. I have, I have questions. So, for one, there's a reason why the Fed's transparent, and the transparency is there to minimise uh, shocks to the system. Now, I suspect there's too much transparency these days because, like, how much visibility does the Fed itself had? They didn't see this inflation coming, right. and you know, now they're telling us, you know, we're going to hike to wherever and we're going to be tough with inflation, tough on the causes of inflation. So, well, you, you know, they, they need to deal with that risk that they lose credibility because they've been so egregiously wrong. Um, but if you start, say, you know, you, you, the market's priced in a whole series of hikes. We've got a series of prices on the euro dollar contracts and the interest rate futures across the board. If you accelerate that and do it, you know, double the pace, People are going to get destroyed. Bond positions are going to get kicked out, uh, liquidated rapidly, and the market will have to re-equilibrate. Equity vol will, will increase. Stuff is bad enough already. So the, the, in an attempt to minimize that kind of vol, I get what he's saying. He thinks, okay, we, we're already pricing 3% rates or higher down the line in what about 12 months, 15 months' time, something like that. Why not get there quicker? fine but you've got to communicate that to markets because markets are expecting you to communicate it and if you just short circuit that process and just go oh, you know what there you go 100 basis points how are you left the people will ask themselves what is it the fed just saw that they did not see before what changed what do we have to worry about what is it we don't know so right. no that isn't gonna so maybe they should accelerate the process but that's a language change and you got to integrate also, that. this brings up all sorts of counterparty issues and you know, uh, th th I mean, this is back in the financial crisis. There were a lot of people who were saying, you know, in a vacuum, theoretically, for moral hazard, let this firm fail, let this happen. And then when those dominoes came down, there were there were unintended consequences that, you know, we all we all know what what happened there. By the way, this is also a time when we have uh the president of Goldman Sachs, as well as Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon talking about a hurricane, uh, the president of Goldman Sachs uh, talking about the fact that he's never seen this many, the, this confluence of, of shocks hit the market at the same time, just sort of speaking to the difficulty of navigating this right now. And the fact that, you know, lots of folks are, are flying without a, you know, without a, a real guide on what to do here. So, 
I think lots of danger all around. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But um, if we talk about the Fed, Harry, this is all timing, isn't it? Because if they if they are aggressive and they hike, uh, and they and they you know destroy demand, they they spark a recession or a downturn, or at least you know withdraw the demand side of the economy. They can't do anything to the supply side. These more structural issues with underinvestment in energy. Do they keep hiking even if energy is even if inflation is elevated? If they've already addressed the part of the economy that they theoretically, and I know there's a debate about this, have the ability to impact, why keep going when they don't have any control over that part of the economy? Well, you could argue real rates is the reason why they have to keep going, because if they don't hike, if you've got 8% inflation and 3% rates, even though it's doing, even though you're already going into a recession, and even though you can't do much to the supply side, real rates are negative by five points, right? And negative 5% rates is bound to encourage risk taking. You haven't really tightened monetary policy at all. You can make that case anyway. In practice, financial overall financial conditions are not just interest rates. Stock prices, credit yeah. spreads, volatility, everything feeds into overall financial conditions. So, and the other thing is the US economy. I mean, the whole thing about transferring the investment risk from uh, the companies and pension funds to the individual. So, where now everyone is their own CIO. Well, that means everyone. is embedded in the financial economy as well as the real economy we you know if you retire at the wrong time you could see your your living standard drop dramatically if you get these trades wrong so it's it's difficult i can easily see how three percent rates might not be sufficient uh might not be particularly tight in, in, in monetary policy terms because of overall financial conditions. On the other hand, if stocks drop 20, 30%, 3% rates might be plenty tight enough. Um, so, and, you know, Julian makes this point all the time. Uh, you know, he's banging the table. Julian likes banging tables a lot, but he, he's banging the table I about it. No, right? Yeah, you could have, you've, you've seen him in a bar. You've seen him banging Bang tables. Banging the podium, right? And some right, right. <laughs> exactly. And, and he's, he's right about this, which is, if the Fed raises rates and stocks don't fall, did it really make a sound, right? Yeah. It, it, did we really tighten policy? So I, I would argue, yeah, we, we, if we need to tighten uh, monetary conditions and stocks are not going down, we're probably going to have to tighten them some more. We've got some great questions coming in. I want to I try to cycle some of them in. Paul E. on the exchange, and I think this is speaking to the sort of shocks we're dealing with. At Davos, Bill Ackman said inflation is out of control. Inflation expectations are out of control. Hell is coming. And George Soros said the Ukraine invasion may have been the beginning of the Third World War and our civilization may not survive. With the disruption of supply chains, global inflation is liable to turn into depression. Your thoughts on those two rather gloomy outlooks? Well, I'm a gloomy guy, right? So, um, so I, I sympathize. The Bill Ackman's point is the most arguable, 
um, which is depressing, right? I'd hope that Third World War was 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 the most arguable point, but no, Bill Ackman's point is most arguable. If inflation expectations are out of control, why are break-evens not out of control? Mm. Uh, why is five-year, five-year forward break-even so low? They're still they're still bounded. So you'll get people like Fed, you know, Loretta Mester, who you know, sharp cookie, right? Um, she'll come on and she'll give you a speech and she'll point out the five-year, five-year break-evens are actually well about well behaved. Um, so the, you know, I don't think inflation expectations are out of control. If anything, the thing that surprises me is how well behaved measures of inflation expectations are. Now, it's quite possible that market inflation expectations don't really reflect what people really think. Um, I've got a great friend over in London who we chat to occasionally because we both have the most sick sense, you know, terrible sense of humor. You know how bad my sense of humor. <laughs> so, and he pointed out to me that even if you've got negative two, three percent break-evens, um, where else are you going to get a hedge against inflation as a retail investor? Mm. So you might as well buy inflation-linked bonds. It doesn't matter if they're negative three. You still like there's a a Fed product, uh, sorry, a Treasury product, Treasury Direct product. I think I think it's the I bond uh, that gives you a yield of nine percent or nine and something percent, right? For, but the problem with that that piece of paper is that it's got a a maximum amount of of ten thousand dollars per year you can put into it. You cannot get nine percent anywhere else. Why does it give you that? They they calculate it based on the inflation rate. That's why it's so high. Actual inflation is eight percent. So, uh, I the question for me is why are inflation expect expectations so well behaved? And maybe they're not. Maybe people know that the, it, there's worse inflation coming. But all the market driven indicators of inflation expectations are well behaved at the moment. Break evens are well behaved. Forward break evens are well behaved. Um, third world war. Well, that's not cheerful, is it? Um, yeah, you know, this is the thing that I can't get my head around. You ask me a question. I'm I'm weird. Why would anyone listen to me? I have no idea. People who know me have no idea. But uh, we have a conflict between a, a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia. Um, so far in that proxy war, the Russians have been relatively calm. My sneaking suspicion, I'm, I expect eggs to be thrown at the screen at this point, is that's because they're pretty sure they're going to win. Um, if they were going to lose, I'm not sure things go, where things go. So every time this thing escalates, I get nervous and look at real estate in New Hampshire um, and Argentina and places like that. I, I, For me, it's all very dangerous. But ignoring the danger because, hey, that's not my day job. I know people in Washington that focus on this as their day job. Uh, I'm the supply chain issue is enormous. Uh, it, it doesn't. It's not a one or two year thing where you rejig supply chains away from uh, one supplier to others. That whole supply chain for say noble inert gases, yeah, helium, uh, argon, all those things that you use in semiconductor production, semiconductor lasers. That has to be rebuilt. It gets rebuilt from from steel. The reason they they specialize in doing it is because they have uh, blast furnaces still. I think it's a byproduct of blast furnace production. So where the hell are we going to get the those inert gases to do to do semiconductor construction? And I just read, that, I think this morning, that the Russians had imposed export restrictions on those gases. Um, all these supply chains have to get rejigged to reflect the fact that something that what just happened looks like the re return of the Iron Curtain, where trading, and, you know, 
I, I make this speculation all the time to my colleagues, but I'm not sure China will end up in the same trading block as us. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, boy, are we going to see much more inflation. They're going to see deflation, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see inflation. I, I think that's a great point. And this is the this is the debate. Not only how long do supply chains take to rebuild, how do you rebuild around without a key player like Russia or China, but also this larger debate about, you know, is, is globalization over and do we see regionalization and what does that look like and which countries benefit and don't. Um, I sat down with Peter Zehan, who, who talks and thinks a lot about this. We had another conversation that's going to come out on Friday, heads up on that. And he had very, he has very strong views on that, very interesting things to say. So um, for anyone who's list, interested in, in those topics, um, I encourage you to, to check that out when it comes out. Um, I was, it takes me a while to recover from conversations with him, as you can imagine. Um, but, they're, but they're really thought-provoking. But these are the big questions that people are asking. Um, we, we have some more questions coming in for us, Harry. And uh, James on the exchange, Learman, asked Harry if he was to buy along the yield curve, would he choose the short end over the long end now to buy and hold for the next one and a half years? Thank you for including a time frame on that, James. It's always super critical um, when asking this because during, you know, your, your sort of investment horizon matters a lot. But Harry, thoughts on that? Yeah, so James, I've already lost money on this trade. Um, I had tried to buy five-year futures and I'm underwater on that trade. I did that because I believed equities were breaking. Um, once uh, we get a significant breakdown in risk assets, it will give the Fed pause. So even if I'm right about longer-term inflation, even if I'm right that, in fact, inflation won't be put under control, the Fed won't know that. And what we will see is all sorts of negative data on the on real economy, on, on, on rising unemployment. So with those factors, uh, we will anticipate rate cuts and that, that trade would have made money, except it didn't because we're not seeing any weakness. We're not seeing real econ- economic weakness and the equity market stopped going down. And so you could easily argue that actually, you know, options on rates are maybe a cheaper put to equity puts. As it happens, VIX isn't even that elevated. So I'm not yeah. even sure that's true anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to buy the front end on that base, something equivalent to the front end on that basis. It didn't work. And uh, what can I say? I get them wrong. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, in this environment, there's an awful lot of that going on. I mean, the, the headline on Tiger Global is so painful for those of you who missed it, went down 50% now. Uh, in 2022, when we see massive losses like that, Harry, does that have, and we, th- these are reports, you know, full disclosure, we are not sure, sure. directly with them, right? So we no, don't no. really know. And some of that's backward looking whenever you're hearing from the hedge fund industry. But when you see major losses like that from really smart, really well-established funds, does that have a knock-on effect? I mean, you, you know, typically they have to sell winners or do other things they don't want to do in order to, you know, 
are we going to see more of that? Does that worry you when you start to see headlines like that? So uh, absolutely. And this is such a great point you make here, Maggie, and you're leading me down a particular path. I, I'm That's smart. But um, so first of all, my suspicion is when the, the losses Tiger saw may well be related to the weakness in the equity market we saw before. And the unwinding of books, uh, stuff is going on beneath the surface all the time. We are not privy to most of it. Someone in an investment bank somewhere gets an order and goes, thank you very much. I've got a six billion order to sell whatever stock. Off he goes. And you, see, you will be the guys going, that's odd. Why is Carvana so weak? Mm. <laughs> Why is it? It's gone down from 350 to 60. What the hell happened? You don't know. They do know. So to some degree, that's true. The other observation I'd make is if you have a script of a broader deleveraging, if your hypothesis was one of uh, a big bull market driven to excess by reflows from global capital markets into the United States, um, massive fiscal policy stimulus when uh, the economy shut down over COVID, uh, which could only end up in residual assets, you know, the asset markets like the equity market, uh, and very stimulative monetary policy. As they unwind that, um, it'll. there's a line in reminiscences of a stock operator where he talks about pumping the air out of a bell jar with a mouse in it. Um, and slowly the air comes out and you will see these cascading defaults. You'll see stock prices and certain assets collapse. And slowly that that inflated asset market deflates and it deflates in particular places look around and look at the pattern overall lots of things have been trashed is it over and if you don't think it's over uh, (laughs) act accordingly um so this is really important because that is something that people have to plug into their narrative because you can look at all sorts of things that you think you know about that company and how you think they should be trading. But if someone, if there's widespread delevering going on and people have to liquidate stuff, then you've got to be careful of that. Absolutely. Multiples are not a factor, are not really a function of, 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 of fundamentals. Uh, a great company can trade on 20 times earnings or 50 times earnings. Mm-hmm. It'll be 50 times earnings when monetary conditions are really accommodative and everyone's making money and everyone's happy and I'm thin. Although, let's face facts, that could be a long way away. Um, or it could be six times earnings just because everyone is so bearish. That doesn't, in nothing about that company really changed. Um, so, and that's true for, for yield curves. There's always a subjective component. Kane, Keynes Keynes described it as animal spirits. I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't ever know enough to know why something is being sold. Which is which is really important, especially in an environment like this. Tim from Long Island on the RV site asking uh, about high yields. I know you and Julian spoke of uh, HYG high yields earlier. What's your thoughts? Much lower? Question mark. So, uh, first of all, when we did the original uh, high yield put trade, I think vol was four, maybe four, five percent, something like that. It might be eight, nine percent now. The thing's doubled. It's not as easy to do that trade in options. And when you don't do it in options, how big can you be? Like, there's only so much you can lose when you're long a put. Um, you can lose a lot more. Now, saying that, uh, if we're where I think we are in the cycle. Then it should come lower. So I mean, we we talked about that earlier with 
you know, with jewels and stuff like that. And the the gist of that conversation was one one of my colleagues, a way better technician than me, said eighty and a half is a level of sell. Who knows? Right? Who knows? But if you ask me, where are we in the credit cycle, and and do you expect if the, as the Fed tightens for credit to weaken? Credit investors never think their asset class is going to weaken. Me personally, yeah, I think it can it can soften up from here. These things, these spreads don't seem demanding to me. Carry yeah. doesn't seem that rich. Yeah, and 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 people have been pointing that out, and they really haven't still given it up. You know, they haven't moved that much, even though people have been expressing concern. I mean, they've moved, but not the kind of moves people might expect. Bob on the RV site asking, part of this we covered a little bit, but Harry, what are your odds of U.S. and European recession, and in what time frame for each? You know, I saw something very. A friend of mine sent me a chart, and it was a U.S. consumer confidence. Uh, against European consumer confidence. European consumer confidence was an all-time low. U.S. consumer confidence almost an all-time high. And there's never been a bigger divergence. Um, I'm actually kind of bullish Europe, although in consumer terms, I could see why they have terrible confidence. Like if you're the site of the Third World War, yeah. that's that's not a bullish thing to be, right? You know, oh, look, there's a big thermonuclear war going on. Let's say with it. It's a negative, right? It's bad for real estate prices. So. Um, me, I I can imagine how we get this really counterintuitive move. And I think Alex Gerovich said something very similar. And I, God, I love that guy. He's, he's great. He, all traders should be mathematicians, right? Um, uh, Gerovich was saying that European rates could easily go significantly higher. I, I can see how that would happen because Europe has to reconstruct its supply chain way more than the United States. Mm-hmm. All of its energy was coming from Russia, right? All well, is an exaggeration. Forty percent of its energy needs were coming from Russia. Where the hell do you get that that forty percent from? If it's got to be removed around, yeah, some of it's fungible. A lot of it isn't. Coal that was being mined out of the southwestern regions of Russia that could only the only easy way to get that out is via Europe. Everywhere else is a very long trip on a railway line, which is already being used to shift a lot of oil. Um, there are big logistical problems for the Russians right now. And, you know, so anyway, the bottom line being, if the Europeans have to reconstruct their entire energy system, they're going to end up spending an awful lot of money. They're going to end up have, with this corporate boom because you've got to construct liquefied natural gas terminals. You've got to construct new pipelines. You've got to construct uh, renewable energy systems. That corporate boom is probably not a consumer boom. It's probably the opposite of a consumer boom. Living standards in Europe will be going down because the price of everything will be going up. I mean, I don't even know what the value of the German bulk chemicals industry is when you can't get cheap gas. Yeah. But but, 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 But you're bullish bullish european equities because of the corporate boom i can see how european equities may perform surprisingly well i wouldn't say i'm bullish but i'm I'm formulating a hypothesis Mm -hmm. now and i'm thinking to myself where would the real what could surprise and wrong foot markets well you know what europe has got the the european government sector has gonna is gonna run bigger deficits European bond markets, well, they start off in negative yields, and those yields could go massively positive, so we could destroy a lot of capital there. But a lot of European capital globally may have to come back to Europe to finance this complete restructuring of the European economy, unless, of course, we all decide to kiss and make up, which seems to me kind of unlikely. People seem to be in a very bad mood of each other. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting point. It's almost like a Marshall Plan, but funded by Europe, and uh, and all these budget deficits, they uh, budget rather restrictions they've imposed. That was so such a strain and such a point of disagreement during the sovereign crisis, bond cri- the European bond crisis. I mean, did they get tossed aside because they have to spend? Maybe they, li- you know, there's. When I talk to my friends in Eastern Europe, they're livid with the Germans and the French. Um, they see this as an existential question for them. And if you were a part, you know, Poland was a province of the Russian Empire. I'm not in the slightest bit surprised the Poles take this seriously. Neither am I so surprised that the Germans are ambiguous on seeing energy prices for their companies jump 50, 60%, and a whole block of German industry become unviable. So there's a problem there, right? And people are being dragged, kicking and screaming against their will. But uh, yeah, this is a. I can see why huge amounts of capital has to come in. I I gotta say, I do worry about places like Italy, because for the last twenty years, Italy has been living on the kindness of near neighbors. Mm. Um, those those guys have bigger priorities now. Yeah. I, well, this is the other question: uh, Does the European Union survive? Uh, you, you know what? Just. Later. You need to give me a heads up before you ask me a question right, you know like what? that. I'm going to give a teaser dot, dot, dot. I'm going to save you yeah. for because we're actually out of time. So we're going to... We'll save by the bell. I'll right let you now. think on that one. It's a very big question, but it's one I've been asking. Um, and, and Christoph and Peter got that question, too. So tune into those interviews to see. It's a super big question. But, you know, when you're talking about all of these different strains and, you know, competing forces, I think that this is why this is such a difficult market that all of you have to navigate. Harry, so great to catch up with you. Um, the other thing I'm going to tease is that, as a lot of you may know, Harry is also hosting the next big trade for Real Vision, the podcast. Um, And so this I love because I think that's what everyone wants to know. You're looking at these big forces at work, right? What is the next big thing? Where are those smart people thinking about looking for opportunity in all these sort of shifting ways? Um, I bet you've had some pretty interesting conversations, Harry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to find. Like, I'm hoping someone will come on and tell me which, what the new Amazon will be. That yeah. hasn't happened yet. So, you know, if somebody does know what the next new Amazon is, please send us an email. Open <laughs> invitation on. to appear yeah, on the podcast. Abso- absolutely. Do you feel that people are that that it is as hard as Goldman and J, uh, you know Jamie Dimon and, and the Goldman execs are talking about for even even the sort of most seasoned out there in terms so, of for the next big thing? My, you know, my working hypothesis is we're in a phase of capital destruction, not a phase of capital creation. Lots of value is being destroyed. So I suspect you're doing great if you come out of this and you go, well, you know, I didn't lose much money. Um, I suspect you've done really well if you could say, oh, you know, I was in cash and I lost 8% because of inflation. That might turn out to be a fantastic trade. Yeah. It's that, that kind of environment. And that is exactly where we're at. Harry, great stuff. Thank you so much. Great to catch up with you. Ash Bennington is going to be back same time tomorrow with Jim Bianco. Uh, We're going to, of course, be breaking down the monthly jobs figure. So you'll want to tune in for that. Thank you so much for all the great questions as usual. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.